morning, everyone. Welcome to our baptism service. I'm not going to lie, I am a little bit nervous about falling in. Standing here, I can't stand still, and so I am a little bit nervous about just tripping and being one of those tickety tocks that you see. <laughs> That's what the kids call it, isn't it? Actually, I, for you old schoolers, you remember Jeremy Beadle, right? So, so anyone? There's a few there. It could be on that. Um, no, we're, we're here to talk about baptisms this morning. It's wonderful. We've got a few people being baptized. And genuinely, one of the most exciting things that we get to do uh, as a church. And we're talking in our preaching series about faith foundations at the moment. And this is one of the most foundational um, things we get to see. So for the next two hours, I'm going to talk about what it is. It could genuinely be that because normally there's a clock to telling me when to shut up. And it's just appeared because they were very nervous that was going to be true. And so there's the clock, that's good. But now we're going to talk for just a few minutes, just to set the scene about what we're here to do, what we're here to celebrate. Um, and, and to sort of give you a, a snapshot of where we're going, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to that ready for later on. If not, it, it hopefully will come up on the screens. Um, but just to set the scene... Matthew 3.11 is really where we see the beginning of this idea of baptism being introduced. And this is what it says in Matthew uh, verse 11. I baptize you with water to show that your hearts and lives... baptize you with water to show that your hearts and lives have changed. But there is one coming after me who is greater than I am, whose sandals I am not good enough to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire... And he will come ready to clean the grain, separating the good grain from the chaff. He will put the good part of the grain into his barn, but he will burn the chaff with a fire that cannot be put out. That's an analogy. Uh, and this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus, who is going to baptize us into something in particular. At the time in the first century, people were being baptized for the repentance of their sins. They were turning away from a way of living. But Jesus is bringing about a different kind of baptism. And it's the kind of baptism we're talking about uh, today. And so... Um, if some of you will, will know what this is, but in a few moments' time, we're going to take these several people, we're going to put them in the water, uh, and we're going to say, upon confession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They'll do it slowly to give it pause and meaning. Uh, and then we're going to put them under the water. The crucial bit is we're going to bring them back up again. And after that, it represents the death of the old life and the birth of the new. And we call it being born again. That The old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. That is the landmark moment. Um, but it's worth noting that you don't need to be baptized in order to put your faith in Jesus. You don't need to be baptized in order to be considered a Christian. This is an outward expression of something inward that is happening deep within our lives. It's a spiritual declaration. And um, there's several ways that happens. People come to a place of faith, and in that place of faith, we want to make a declaration about what God has done in our lives. And you can have one of two experiences when you put your faith in Jesus. One of them is a Damascus Road experience, and, and it's this kind of dramatic conversion that the Apostle Paul has in Acts chapter 9. And it's this moment when this, this guy called Saul, later known as the Apostle Paul, is going around persecuting Christians. And uh, he, he's literally winding people up to drive Christians out of towns and villages 
uh, to have them put in prison, and in some cases, their life under threat. And so this is what Saul is doing, and he's on the road to Damascus, and there's a blinding light, tells us in Acts chapter 9. He can't see, and he hears this voice uh, from nowhere, and there's a few companions with him. They hear the voice of well, and it says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who's that? Can't see anything, and it's Jesus. And Jesus has this conversation. The resurrected Christ speaks with Paul in this dramatic moment, and Saul becomes Paul. His life is changed, and he goes on to be the biggest builder of church that you've ever seen. Half the New Testament thereabouts is written by this guy, the Apostle Paul. That's a dramatic conversion, isn't it? I had a friend like that. I do like him, but it's a bit of an annoying story. So his name is Tim from Timbuktu. I kid you not. Tim from Timbuktu, and uh, he was at Bible college with me, and I sat around uh, on a missions trip with Tim, and when you go on missions, you go overseas, and you build churches up, and you share your faith, and I'm sat with Tim from Timbuktu. He shares his testimony about how he met Jesus. He had a Damascus Road experience. He said, I was dead. What? Yeah, I died for about 10 minutes. I had a a vision of Jesus while I was dead. He told me the gospel because he was in a Muslim country and he gave his faith and became a Christian. And I'm like, how do you follow that? When someone stands up and shares a testimony, but Tim from Timbuktu had a Damascus Road experience. It was this incredible, life-changing encounter. And that's true of a a few people, but largely what we have Uh, And what's probably most familiar for for those of you who are journeying faith is you have what's called an Emmaus Road experience. It uh, it comes from this uh, story in Luke 24 where Jesus had died and rose again and he's on the road to Emmaus and these two disciples are walking to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them and they don't know it's Jesus. And slowly over this long journey, they find themselves having a chat with Jesus, but they don't know it's him. Uh, And they they start to reflect on the journey afterwards, saying our hearts were burning, things were starting to make sense, and at the start of the journey, we didn't know it, but by the time we get to the end of the journey, we understood who it was. It was Jesus. Now, that's more typical for you and I. I don't know. Put your hands up if you've had a Damascus Road experience. There's a few in here. That's amazing. I would love to hear that later on. Put your hand up if you've had an Emmaus Road experience. That's more typical. Most of us do that. It's more like a slow realization, a slow revelation of who Jesus is to you and who Jesus is to me. And I actually think that's the the experience that the disciples have. They start to journey uh, with Jesus and they don't really know when they first begin who he is. And I think that's true of most of us. Maybe you come to church, maybe you ha- have been raised in church, maybe you came to use the toilet and couldn't get out and now you're in this room and you, you're wondering what's going on. Wonderful, you're welcome to be here. Or, or maybe you know, you've been coming and you're just sort of piecing things together. That's an Emmaus experience. You're like, I don't know how the picture emerges, but I do know something's happening. Something's churning within me. And we, as Christians, would say we believe that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, working in your life to stir something up inside of you. Uh, But I wonder at what point, here's a question for you, at what point did the disciples get saved? At what point did the disciples become Christians? Because they meet Jesus, not really knowing how it fits together, but by the end of it, their lives are totally transformed. And it's an awesome thing to see. So a lot of what we're going to be seeing this morning. And so the greatest question they were asking, the greatest question you and I can ask is this, is who is Jesus to you? Who is he? 
Who is this Jesus? Is he just a, a casual swear word that you hear day to day? Is he just some, someone, someone's name you speak when you stub your toe? Is he an interesting guy from history? Is he someone who was once a wise and, 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 and uh, knowledgeable teacher that we just remember as someone who had a bit of wisdom and we, we say some phrases, love thy neighbor, comes from Jesus. That's a really good bit of advice. Maybe he's just someone that was wise. Or was he who he claimed to be? He, he talked a lot about uh, being the son of God. He talks a lot about bringing in the kingdom. He talks a lot about revealing the things of heaven to us. And while he had a lot of good advice, there's a lot of things here that seem a little bit more. They seem a little bit more unusual. And so the disciples asked this same question. You know, who is this guy, Jesus? We've been journeying with him for a while. We've been hearing about him. We've been living with him. And in Matthew 16, if you've got your Bible, open up to that. Chapter 16, verse 13, we begin here. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? That was Jesus' nickname around the time. Who do people say I am? Who am I to you? And verse 14 says this, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, Jesus, there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff about you. And actually, that's true today. There's a lot of people that have different ideas about who Jesus is. And the disciples were asking the same thing. And people are saying this, they're saying that. Maybe you're Elijah, who was a prophet of old. And maybe that was because Jesus used a lot of Isaiah's teachings when he taught people. And so they're asking these questions. And then Jesus presses them even harder. Verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. At what point did the disciples become Christians? I think it's this point. I think it's this point of assurance where they've been journeying with Jesus. They, they've been working out who he is. They've been seeing what he's been doing, hearing what he's been saying. And they arrive at a point where they say, some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're one of the other prophets. But I believe you are the son of God. Because of what I've seen, because of what I've experienced, because of who I know you to be, they, they have this certainty now, this is assurance in I'm, I'm sure of who Jesus is. Now, there's this a, a challenging quote by uh, C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard this before, but let me read it to you. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity in the 1950s. Uh, he says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man was, who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or <laughs> vivid, vivid imagination of C.S. Lewis, uh, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, 
You can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Some challenging words from C.S. Lewis, but I think we've all got to ask that question, who is Jesus to you? And you've got to ask those same, same thought process, same thought patterns that C.S. Lewis put out. Do you think he was just a wise man, a good man, a nice man, a person of history? Do you think he was fabricated? Or do you think he was who he said he was? And it really matters for your life to ask that question, right? Because if Jesus was who he said he was, that means something for you. It means something for your eternity. It means something for your life. It's really significant as a question to ask, and one of those kind of questions we explore on the Alpha course, which we do here at SVC. But if you're burning away that question, my, my other question to you is, do you have the assurance of who Jesus is yet? The next thing we see is this, is there's a confession. After the assurance comes a confession, verse 18 again, let's read it again. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, this baptism represents something of the confession of Peter. That they asked the disciples, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. In other words, upon confession of your faith, of who Jesus is, you've got it, you've understood it, you know who he is, and therefore you're a part of him. You're, you're baptized into that this morning when we make that same declaration. And Jesus says to Peter, on this I will build my church. And I don't think he literally meant, on Peter, I'm going to build my church. It's a lot of weight to put on a person. I think what he's saying is that upon what you're declaring, upon this truth, upon this understanding of who Jesus is, is the foundation of the church. It's not that we're just a nice bunch of people, although we are. Some of you are really nice. It's not that we're just really good and kind-hearted, although you are. Some of you are really good and kind-hearted. It's not an activity club, but here we're on the foundation of faith that is Jesus. And it's upon that confession that we stand, that he wasn't just a nice man, wasn't just a good man, wasn't just a lovely man, but he was and is the son of God. He is the savior of our souls. He paid for our sin. He made a way where we could be restored to our heavenly father so that we might be made right again. That's the foundation that Peter says. And then he says this interesting thing, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I don't know the last time you tried attacking a kingdom with gates. Just think about that for a second. Like, that's a really bad battle strategy. Now, if you, some of you play, like, online games where you've got to do, like, kingdoms and empires. You've seen that kind of stuff advertised all the time on social media. At no point do gates become something that you attack another kingdom with. Yet Jesus says the gates of Hades will not overcome this confession of who Jesus is. In other words, the, the powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, cannot even stand the understanding of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus. That he is the one who forgives our sins. He is the one who makes us right with the Father. He's the one who brings us into the kingdom of heaven. That is so powerful that not even hell could overcome it. 
And sometimes if you feel like you're going through hell, if you're going through the, the kingdom of darkness, if you feel like things are pressing in on you, what you've got to understand is that if you know Jesus, you have a firm foundation. You have a solid rock on which you can stand. You have something that is unshakable. It doesn't mean you won't go through stuff, but it means you won't be rocked by that stuff. You won't be broken by that stuff because your assurance and confession is placed in Jesus. What's beautiful about it is that you can go anywhere around the world. You can go into every church in every nation. You can go to an underground church in the far reaches of where it's illegal to be a Christian. You could go into Barbados, should you want to, on a holiday. Wonderful place to go. And you could find yourself in a little chapel on a beachfront and confessing Jesus as Lord in either place. You have something in common with Christians all around the world. You share something in that you are now a part of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not so much the statement, it's what the statement represents. It's what the statement brings for us. And so my question really is, what is the confession of your life? This morning we get to witness several people making that same confession. And we're going to declare that upon confession of your faith, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what it represents is something that's already taken place in the heart. That Jesus has arrived and... We've understood him not to be just lovely, but we've understood him to be life transforming. Someone we've accepted into our lives. And as we make that confession, as we make this public declaration, what we're saying is outwardly, this is what has happened inside. I've given my life to Jesus. He's transformed me. You're going to hear some of them share very briefly about their journey of faith and how that transformation has taken place. And as we come up at the waters, hopefully we're going to cheer, we're going to celebrate with them because this is one of the most fundamental, foundational, celebrational things we can do as a church. To declare together, you have publicly said what we have all felt as Christians in this room. For those of us that know Jesus, that I once was far off. I was once dead in my sin. I was once distant from God. And I heard about Jesus. And that same question, who is he to me, I answered and I said, he is who he says he is. And I accepted into my life. And as I did that, this transformation takes place. The old is gone, it's buried in the water. And what rises and what emerges is new life. It's a beautiful statement. Are you excited for this morning? Are you excited to celebrate and see what takes place? And here's my dream. What would happen if you and I that have already made that commitment only we're celebrating this morning, but, but going beyond that, if we took the power of what we've just talked about this morning, recognise that it's not just a nice moment in the history of our lives, of course it is, but actually it represents something so much more that we have what we would call as Christians the good news. But there's people that don't yet know the good news, there's people that don't yet have that encounter with Jesus, there's people still asking those questions, who is Jesus? What would happen if we took the foundation of our faith, and we said, hey, here's my experience. Here's what God has done in my life. Here's how Jesus has transformed me, that I once was a certain way. And my heart was far off, and yet he transformed me, and now I'm this way. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. It's a wonderful adaptation of what's going on in the Bible, and that phrase appears often, I once was one way, and now I'm another. And that is essentially the snapshot of what we're talking about. That in that moment, we're restored with our Heavenly Father. We enter the kingdom of heaven. We receive every good thing he has in mind for us. And we live in a tension of not receiving it all now, but we will do one day. But as we do that, we stand on this pillar of faith. 
that upon confession of our faith, we are baptised into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Maisie. I know we're going to get into this celebration, but... Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you that we get to celebrate this powerful visual representation of what you've done in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Jesus, that even while we were far off, you were sent to reach us. You were sent to reclaim us. And while we were dead in our sin, we were separated from you. And we thank you, Lord, that you gave your life for us. You showed us the way. And as we put our faith in you, as we confess the truth of who you are in our lives, a transformation takes place. We're now called the sons and daughters of the Most High. Thank you that it says in John 1 that we're born of God, no longer born of human descent or human will, but we're now grafted into the family of God. And we want to celebrate, Lord, this morning baptism that represents that. Lord, would you do something in our heart as well to remind us of this powerful foundational truth, that this is the firm foundation that we stand on, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as they go into the waters, the old is gone, the old life is buried, and what emerges is us, made new in you, born again. Just as you were raised, we'll be raised with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.